0: Good morning everyone, glad to be here. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 John, a lot of things happening in the world today. A lot of people searching for answers, and uh, sort of like that song, looking for love in all the wrong places, and people are looking for answers except everywhere, except where they should, and that would be God's word. as we look at First uh, John 2 today, we want to think of what God's word says. You know, the, the Bible talks about a time that uh, the world's going to have a famine, and it says not of food or water, but of the word of God. And I think we see that coming about more and more today. There are less churches that are really preaching the gospel. More and more churches tend to be reaching out just to Appease the crowds, to make people feel good, to um, make them feel comfortable. A lot of times, even when you ask a a person that's going to church, you know, why do you go to that church? Well, a lot of them say, oh, they got great programs, oh, they got good kids' things, oh, they got this, that. And somewhere down the road is, you know, the Word of God. Now, shouldn't the Word of God be the top priority why we come to a church? But people become uncomfortable with God's word. People squirm and and if they're not dealing with things in their life uh, they become uneasy with the word of God. And John is sort of telling us this as we've been going through these uh, pastoral epistles of John, the little John books, I call them first, second, and third. He's really challenging us to look at our lives and say, you know, is our life right with God? He's telling us that we need to humble ourselves, that we need to be true and honest and transparent in our life. We live in a world today where we put on masks, where we pretend to be something that we're not in order to gain things we really don't need. We live sort of a, uh, a movie-style life that we're playing the role of a character of who we really aren't. And, and so John talks about this. And so I'm going to read today... Well, I think it was already read today. We'll, we'll review today about uh, verses 15 through 23. And last week we talked about the core of all sin. The core of all sin goes back to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those are the things that we battle in this world. Those are the things that, that really keep us from a true relationship with other people as well as a true relationship with God. And the Bible tells us that the world is going to call good, evil, and evil, good. And today we're going to talk about the Antichrist and Antichrist, both as they are presented in the Scriptures. But as we look at these lusts, we see these things that pull us from a relationship with God. We see these things that want to deter us. They're the things that make us uneasy with a relationship with God because we harbor these these sins and these things in our life, and and we don't deal with them. And so we call it a guilt complex. Working in the prison system for 37 years, I've learned to recognize that in, in individuals. When they're there, they have guilt. They have guilt over their crime. They have guilt over their offenses that they've done. There's things in their lives they haven't dealt openly and honestly with, and so they have guilt, and it's very easy to read it in people. And so we see a world that transgresses into the sinful states of uh, self-medication, alcohol and drug abuse and different things to numb the pain, to numb the guilt, to make us feel better about ourselves. But the problem with it is, as we wake up in the morning. My younger days, I used to go out and, and uh, live the life of the world and felt good at the time until the next morning swung around and then there was a price to pay and So it is in our spiritual life. We can go on masquerading our whole life doing these things, but there is a price that's going to be paid at the end. It says every knee is going to bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And What are you going to do with this one that they call Jesus? What are you doing with the things in your life? Where are you finding your purpose and your meaning in the life that you live? And so John is telling us, that he lived in this constant expectancy of Christ coming. And we should, too. We should really be looking at this. And I think for for many Christians, we look as, well, yeah, Jesus is going to come someday, 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 someday. And we don't realize that it could happen. And if it's not even Christ coming, it could be us going. You know, we had the rich farmer who gathered up all the things, and Jesus said, uh, the Lord said, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. See, there's a day that we're going to stand before God. But he lived in this time of expectancy, and we should too. We should really be expecting the Lord. And as we look at some of these things today, um, maybe it will help you understand more of the stage that is set. You know, most of us don't spend time in the Word of God, we don't spend time in the Bible, we don't spend time in, in prayer, we don't spend time in fellowship. And so these things sort of blindside us. But God has given us his word that we might know some of these things. And so John says this, the Antichrist is coming. And here he's referring to uh, an individual who has really captured the imagination of of many people, uh, many of whom aren't even Christians. I mean, Hollywood has has, uh, shown many, many movies about the Antichrist. Even Christian filmmakers have done many things about uh, the Antichrist. The only problem is, is in most of these productions that they do, uh, they show an opposite of Jesus instead of, and instead of Jesus. So we think that because Jesus and all the good that he did and the perfect life that he lived and the miracles that he did, that when this Antichrist comes, we're going to see the total opposite. So um, when I was raised, I liked watching uh, the Flintstones. And I remember one part of the Flintstones where Fred was under temptation, but he had this little angel and he had this little devil, you know, one in each ear. And one was trying to convince him to do good, and one was con- trying to convince him to, to do wrong. And, and we sometimes picture the Antichrist like that. This thing that's going to be easy to recognize, some beast with horns and a tail, and, and uh, you know, oh, well, we'll, we'll be able to spot him out of, of anything. So that's the opposite of, of uh, Antichrist that maybe we are looking for instead of the instead of. And so when we focus on the opposite of Jesus, sometimes we can be deceived, we can be lured into uh, really uh, a passiveness. We don't see the subtleness in which Satan wants dominion in our life. And so when we talk about Antichrist, I want to talk more about the instead of Jesus because I think that's the one that the Bible talks of. I don't think the Bible talks about the opposite of, even though we know at the very core of the Antichrist, the very core of Satan, is everything opposed to what Christ is? But like so many things in the world, what is, what is portrayed is not that. So as I said, as individuals, we put on these masks sometimes, right? Like everything's okay and I'm good and I'm doing wonderful, but behind the scenes, we have a whole different life, right? We're sort of like a Sybil of, of types. We have all these different personalities that go on behind the scenes. This is how I believe the Antichrist, capital A, is going to come into the world and and do things. Because the Bible tells us this, that the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to appear as what? An angel of light. Well, that doesn't look like a little red guy with horns and tail, does it? An angel of light. He's going to appear as something that is good, that is grand. He's going to be uh, uh, an individual that is going to capture our imagination and our attention, I think, in, in many things. He's going to look wonderful. He's going to be charming. He's going to be very eloquent in, in persuasion of things. He's going to be successful. He is going to be the ultimate winner as we would view things in this world. So when we're looking at the Antichrist, don't be looking for a little devil with horns and a red tail that you know, is speaking terrible things. He's going to be one that wants to persuade you. Now just think about this. This is how Satan gets into our life. This is how the Antichrist little A's, Antichrists that the Bible talks about, persuade us. They're subtle. They try to make the black and white lines gray in our life. They try to get us to bend a little here and bend a little there. They try to lure us in slowly into these things until we are trapped fully in his net. And so when we talk about the instead of Jesus, these are the things that we do instead of what Jesus has said to do. So we have his word. And how often do we spend time in his word? How often do we spend time in prayer or in study? Because his word is a road map of how we are to live. The the Bible is really this this book that tells me, you know, Craig, if, if if you read this and if you do this, your life is going to be better off. And so God has given us this. Your life will be pleasing to me. And so Jesus says do this. Your life is going to be fuller and more complete. And so follow what I have to say. Your life is not going to be without problems, but you are going to be strengthened by the inner being of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so some have wondered about this Antichrist, the big A. So again, as as, um, John is talking about this, you know, little children, it says, the last hour, as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists. If, if, I think, depending on your version, but uh, the Antichrist is a big A. That's the person. That's the one that is going to come and present himself. But the Antichrists are the little ones. And they sort of mean just sort of what they say, Antichrist. It's things that stand against Christ. So when we look at our life, when we evaluate our life, we need to look at these things. How many things do we have going on in our life that are contrary to God's word? Because if we have those things going on in our life that the Bible says is sin, that the Bible says is wrong, and and we are participating in them, that is the Antichrist working in our life. Those things are Antichrist, they're anti-Jesus, they're anti-God, they're anti-good, they're anti-the Lord. Do we have those things going on in our life? And so the word Antichrist occurs in the Bible only in the letters of John and, uh, and five times in four verses, the, the, letter, the word Antichrist. And so when we look at this, we see, well, that's sort of a limited number. But it doesn't mean that the Antichrist is not reference to throughout Scripture because it is. It's a continual thing that has followed on. Daniel talks a lot about it. Daniel talks about the little horn, uh, the king of uh, fierce continent uh, countenance. He talks about uh, the prince. That shall come in Daniel 9. So Daniel has a lot of names for him. The willful king. He who comes in his own name, John describes him as. So as Christians, we come in what? We come in the name of the Lord, right? We have our power and our strength and our being and our substance in the name of the Lord, but this is the one who comes in his own name. Uh, Thessalonians talks about the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one. So there's many references in the scripture about this, but this is the only place... Um, where John mentions about the Antichrist. So he's going to be this world dictator who leads humanity um, really into what seems like a golden age. So some people say, well, is the Antichrist a person or is it a political system? So we can look at both of those things. I think that they're going to go hand in hand. I think that they're going to work together. If we look in the world today, we can probably uh, uh, see some of this that is going on. But this Antichrist, he's going to be a leader, a physical leader uh, that comes and that is going to lead humanity into, um, just seems like, this, this glorious time. There's going to be peace. There's going to be, you know, substance, Everything is going to be taken care of until he shows his true colors. And when that happens, the judgment of God, as it says, is poured out on him, the Bible tells us. And uh, that's right before the return of, of Jesus when he comes. But he's going to be a smooth talker. You ever have a salesman come and, and sell you something that you didn't need? And they come to the door and you say, oh, I'm not buying this. I'll, I'll listen to his pitch, but I'm not buying that. And by the end of the meeting, right, you, you, you got, oh gosh, I guess we need this. And you buy it, sits in your closet, and that's where it sits, right? Okay. Life is like that sometimes. Satan is like that, he is subtle. And he gets in there and he starts just pecking away little by little by little in our life. So when we look at the news today, and I try not to watch a whole lot of it, but when we look at it, we hear these leaders speaking of like this new world order. It's not a new phrase. It's been around for for quite a while. Uh, But no one has really been able to really define it, much less lead it. But we do know that the stage is set for it. It's out there. It's a concept. It's an idea that it is. And we know, according to scriptures, according to prophecy, that this Antichrist leader is coming. Uh, He's going to be surrounding himself with the kind of um, personality cults that that we're accustomed to today. If you really look at the world today, and and throughout the whole world, not just the United States, but the whole world, not only in America do we practice this um, sick worship of celebrities. You know, we, we have this like worship of, of people. You know, we, I love sports. I love watching sports. But man, we raise some of these people up to just iconic levels, to God-type levels. People just get so distraught, so wrapped up, so wound up about all these things. It can be music singers. It can be all sorts of things in the world. And, and we sort of have this, this um, sick worship of these popular people, the movie stars, You know, I I remember growing up, and I like people like John Wayne and that, but I mean, sometimes now they just become, we just worship them. And the stage is is set for these things, and it happens all around the world. I want you to think about the hundreds of, millions of people who have induced worship into people like Lenin, or Stalin, or Mao. You know, we think of that. We can even think of cults in in this country. You know, we had David Koresh. We had... Bob Jones. We had, you know, some of those, or Jim Jones, excuse me, that, uh, you know, they just had the worship of these people. They just idolized and held on to every word that these people said. Jesus says, you know what, you're an independent thinker. He says, I have given you the word. Everything that we need in our life should be balanced against the word. But this just really shows us how strong that personality cult system is in the world today. And it's in our country. And it might even be in your life. You know, this cult can be, you know, by looking at that, we can see where people get behind this wholeheartedly. You know, when we talk about some of these, like, like Lenin and Mao and Stalin, and the, they actually worship, they feel like they are deities in, their, in, the, in the world today. And so we can see how this all happens. All these developments should make us understand that the Antichrist is ready. That the stage is, is, is already set. And the Bible tells us that when the moment is right, he is going to be here. And so he goes on to say in the scriptures, John does, um, they went out from us, uh, but they were not of us. Now that scripture gets misused a lot of times. Really what I think John is saying here is that these antichrists, little a, these influences are people that used to be in the church. They used to be ones that were part of the Christian community. But they were led astray. Jim Jones is a perfect example. David Koresh. You know, Jim Jones, they called him like a, a little prodigal preacher at the, at the age of like, uh, you know, he was young. I don't know if it was 10, 12, 13 years old. He was out on the street corners preaching the gospel message. But he got led astray. So when John is talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things begin to draw people away. And so that's the importance of being in God's word. That's the importance of, of praying and having fellowship. You know, Jesus instituted the church in the world for a purpose. And regardless of what the world wants to try and, and how they try to disparage it, it's, it's not just a, you know a, a place for the weak, a crutch for the weak. It's not just... You know, all they want is your money or this. No, it's a place where we hear God's word, where we get challenged by God's word, where we learn to deal with the, the problems of our life, that emptiness that's in our, our life, that searching that we are looking for things. It's a place where we can gather all these things. It's a place where we have fellowship with one another, where we can have communion and, and dialogue with one another and learn from one another. It's where discipleship takes place. It's a place that we can come and be accepted in spite of our sin. And where we can be genuine and real. And unfortunately within the churches today, many of that genuineness has has gone away because we end up, again, putting on the mask and pretending to be uh, people that we aren't in order to impress people that we don't care about anyways. But we sort of do that in life. But the church was instituted that we could come as we are We can come genuine, broken vessels, sinful people, and unite in the cause of Christ and what he has done for us. And so the New Testament, as John goes on, continues to talk about, you know, as we're trying to identify the spirit of the Antichrist, and I think in verses 20 it says, but you have the anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. That doesn't mean we know everything. But it talks about this anointing of the Holy Spirit And it's a common property to all believers. If you're a born-again believer, if you're sitting here today, you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some people want to say that, oh, this person's got a special anointing, this one's got a different anointing. I think they confuse the word gift with anointing. I think we all have some different gifts that God wants us to exercise. But the word anointing is common to all believers. So we all have the anointing of God in our life. It says to know all things, but it's really as a discernment tool. It means that sometimes when we're sitting somewhere and we can hear something, we say, well, man, that just doesn't sound right. Something just seems a little bit off. And I'll tell you, sometimes preachers do that because what they do is they give you the truth peppered with a lie. They, they try to blend the two. They try to bend the truth over a little bit so you believe this, or you believe that, and we see that in the world today. Those things that God calls sin, people are saying, oh, that's not sin, that's good. That's how God created us. That's, that's how God made me. I remember having a, a man in a, one of our churches who, basically, he, I called him my little Neanderthal friend because he always thought like his wife should be barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen. That's just where he thought you should be. And he was just sort of a, a blunt, boom, boom, boom guy. And, and I used to address them with it. I said, you know, that you don't carry the spirit of Christ. That's how God made me. No, because it says in Genesis when God created man and woman, they were good. And we are not good. We are sinful beings. So we fight these things in our life. Sometimes people say, oh, God just gave me a quick temper. No, you've honed in and you've developed your own quick temper. God didn't create you that way. It's something that you have let take over your life. And so you see how we begin to justify sin in our life and blur these lines. But we have this anointing that lets us know that that's not right. You know, I was a bad boy when I was growing up. I was, I was pretty naughty all the way up into my early to mid-twenties. And uh, not that I'm good now, but I mean, I was just outright bad back then. But the difference was I knew good and evil. I knew right from wrong. And I still choose to do wrong. What we see in the world today is that people are being taught that these bad things are good. And that they're okay and that they're acceptable by the world's standards. And we know that the Bible says that this is not true. And so he gives us this anointing of the Holy Spirit. And still in my life, when something's going on, the Spirit pricks me inside and says, oh, you shouldn't say that. Oh, you shouldn't be thinking that thought. Oh, that's the wrong attitude. For you to have. See, that's the Holy Spirit's discernment that's working in my life to bring me back into line with God. And I can argue with God and say, well, yeah, but my thoughts are right because that person is a jerk and that person deserves this and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? The Bible's right and I'm wrong. And when you have that attitude, when you humble yourself, it says, God will lift you up. So when he talks about this to know thing, it's talking about an intuition. It's not talking about knowledge by experience. So in our lives, we have both, right? So if you've ever done something, you touch a hot stove, ouch, I burnt myself, I'm not going to do that again. Well, why not? Because I touched it once and it burnt and it hurt. So I'm not going to do that again. So that's experience. That's knowing something by experience. But knowing by intuition just means, you know, I just don't think that that's something I should be doing. I don't think that that's something that I I need in my life. It's nothing that's going to make me a better person. So we can know things intuitively by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, John is saying. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to foster that. We need to even develop those things. God gives us these things in our life, but we develop them in our life. Again, by getting into his word, by by meditating upon his word. And so the spirit of Antichrist identifies itself as the denial of Jesus Christ and denial of the Father. So I want us to think about this as as we leave today. Because most people here I would say today wouldn't say, well I I don't deny Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Father. I believe we're a Trinity Church. We believe the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But our words... We're proclaiming these things, but how about by our actions? How about by our lives? See, when you choose to live in sexual immorality, then following God's word, you're denying Christ because Christ said that's sin, that is wrong. When you choose to disobey God's word, you are denying the power of Christ. When Christ says, I have made old things go away and behold, all things are new, and you're saying, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, So if you call yourself a Christian, you're saying, I'm a Christ follower. But you're not following Christ. What did John say in the first chapter? If you say that I'm of the light, but I walk in darkness, he says, you're a liar. And God hates a lying tongue. See, sometimes we say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little lie. Well, I just didn't tell him the whole truth. I just, you know... Uh, You're on a need-to-know basis, and we shade these things. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says God hates a lying tongue. God hates immorality. God hates sin. And until sin affects you in such a way that you can humble yourself and go to him on your knees and ask forgiveness of those sins and confess. So confession is, guess what, Lord, I'm in agreement with you. That's what confession is. Confession is, is, you know, God, your word says it, I believe it. I'm in agreement with you. And then we repent of those things. That means a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. And So Romans tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. See, God begins to change the heart, but we need to change our mind. We need to stop saying, this is okay? I'm justified in doing what I'm doing. I'm justified in saying what I'm saying. I'm justified in the actions that I do. We live in a world, and again, the prison system is sort of a microcosm of society, but I see people all the time that want to blame everybody else for everything else that's going on in their life. They never want to stand up and take accountability. As a matter of fact, Chaplin Moore, he's run a a class for 15 years. It's called Christian Accountability. It's teaching the men to stand up and take accountability for their actions, for their thoughts, for the things that they've done. To get right with God. Stop blaming others. Stop blaming everybody else in your life for the things that have gone wrong and really stand up and do what is right. And so John is telling this in this scripture as we go through this whole book, you know, we've seen him, we've heard him, we have touched him. And he says, if you say that you're a Christian, and in, in you're walking in darkness. You're a liar. It says the truth is not in you. And so the question today is, is the truth in you? You know, many people will say, oh, you know what? We, we worship the same God. It's, we just call him different names. You know, some want to call him Jehovah. Or some want to call him Yahweh. Or some want to call him Allah. Some want to call him Buddha or whatever else. they call. You know, really, we're just, no, we're not. Unless your God was perfectly represented as the scripture states, you are worshiping a different God. He tells us that our God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who came and gave his life for you. Jesus Christ is the one who shed his blood and went to the grave. Jesus Christ is the only one who rose from the dead that we might have a pathway to the afterlife, to all eternal life. And unless your God was revealed perfectly through Jesus Christ. We worship different gods. Well, don't all roads lead to Christ? I like to say, yes, they do. But are you going to be a sheep or a goat? Are you going to be on the judgment side or on the grace side? Because for the believer, it says we have an advocate. We have Jesus that's going to stand and say, he is mine. He's a child of mine. His sins are forgiven. Welcome, good and faithful servant. But on the other side it says there's the goats, those that have denied Christ, those that have chosen not to follow him, those that have lived the lie and haven't been real with God. And I want to even say I think in the world today the church has failed in many ways that we sort of lead people to believe that they're okay with God, that that they are maybe Christians. Only God knows the heart. We don't know the heart. But many times we make people feel, you know what, just say this prayer and you're good to go. If the prayer is sincere, you're good to go. If if your intentions are right, if God has called you, you respond to his call, you're right. But the Bible also says this, that, that we need to walk in his ways. James tells us that faith without works is dead. The works aren't for salvation, they're because of salvation. So when we look at people's lives, and this is the only way as Christians and believers that we can judge people, is by their actions. Now listen, Romans tells us we all fail. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not one. There's not one sitting here today in their own righteousness. And if you think you are sitting in your own righteousness, you're wrong. It's through Christ, and Christ alone. He is the payment of our sins. He is our our advocate for all eternity. So we don't sit here as greater than thou, but we sit here knowing this that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I stand here today saying, I know God has a better plan for my life than maybe this spot I'm in now. I look every day and say, What is it, God, that you have for me? What is it that I can do that, that will make me a better person, that will make me a blessing? To other people that's not for salvation that's just my Christian walk that I want to be a bright light to others that when they see me they say what is it that is different about you what is it that you have because whatever you have I want and I can say it's nothing about me but it's all about him it's all about Jesus Christ and so he has given us these things that he has told us to do and wants us to do he says don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together as some do Some people don't go to church, and they got a variety of reasons. You know, we know we've had a couple tough years with COVID. We understand some of those things. But for some people, it becomes an excuse not to go. But Jesus has said, guess what? Don't forsake that gathering. You need to find a place to go because the church is what I have for you. He tells us that we need to confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Don't be walking around in that guilt and that shame of your life. Repent, humble yourselves, go to Christ. Let him cleanse you. Let him strengthen that inner man. Let him make you what he desires to. The things that he has for us are so much greater than the things that we have for ourselves. What does the Bible say? There's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. How many men have walked down that path saying, I know what i got to do. I know where I want to go. I know what I'm going to accomplish. I know, I know, I know, I know. And where do we end up? Flat on our back. Jesus says, I'm hope. The good news of all this is Jesus is our hope. He is our hope and our sustainer. That when we fall, when we, wherever we're at, if, he, if we have a relationship with him, we can turn to him. And he is right there to pick us up and encourage us. I would pray that that is your position today, that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you don't, you know, if you say, well, I've been religious, I've been going to church, Religion is one thing. Relationship is another. You can go to church your whole life and not have a personal relationship with Christ. Jesus desires that personal relationship with you. He wants you to be grafted in and he wants you to know. He wants you to have his Holy Spirit in his life that you can be a game changer in the world that we live in today. This is a dark world. There's a lot of tough things going on. I was listening to the prayer requests. We have friends also down in Louisiana He was telling me about 17-foot waves and different things. You know, he wants us to make a difference. He's out there trying to share with people the gospel, that God is good, God will take care. You know, put our trust and our faith in him and not in the things of this world because this world, as John said, is passing away. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life is all of the world, and the world is passing away. Let's follow him. Let's see what Christ has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word.
1: Lord, your word
0: is our standard. Your word is our, it's our guide. Lord, many times as believers we say, well, I feel led to do this or I'm led to do that. But is it in line with God's word? If it's not in line with God's word, we know it's wrong. And we can call it what we want, but your word is clear, it is sin. And it is sin that separates us from God. It is sin that puts doubt in our heart. It is sin that causes fear in our lives. So, Father, as we search for the answers of life, as we search for purpose and meaning, and we maybe have tried all the things. We've tried the uh, different jobs. We've tried different relationships. We've tried the drugs. We've tried the alcohol. We've tried, you know whatever other things this world has that try to lure us away and we still find ourselves empty, it's because you are seeking that spot. And it is only you that can fill that spot and give us contentment. So Father, help us to examine our lives. Help us to look and see what it is that you have for us. We thank you for each one here, Lord. We thank you for the work that is done through this church and this community. Lord, help us to continue to be a bright light to all who are seeking. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.